0: Thank you. So our friend Dr. Sam Wells tells a story about when he was a young pastor, one of his early parishes, many years ago in a working-class neighbourhood in the north of England, um, to a congregation that was kind of evangelical and Catholic at the same time. And he said they they did an amazing job, this down-to-earth, congregation of making Sunday part of their everyday lives and everyday part of their Sunday lives. And in that church was a particular man who was a bus driver by profession, but he was also a passionate supporter of Newcastle United, which he took to the point um, of wearing his team shirt to church every Sunday. And this team shirt would show through the robe that he wore every Sunday to carry the cross up the aisle. And Sam once asked him, so what's your favorite part of the worship service? And he replied um, that he loved it most when three or four times a year they got up the thurible. you know, the, the swinging incense, um, the hanging incense burner. And it was his job to carry this and to swing it and to fill the church with fragrant smoke. And when Sam asked him why this bus driver, why why this United supporter liked that bit of the service so much, he replied, well, it's the glory in it. It's the glory in it. You feel like you're surrounded by God. So Sam asked him, pushed it a bit more, Um, And asked him if he ever felt that at other times, but during his everyday week. Do you know what he replied? Sometimes, standing on the terraces, watching Newcastle United, I feel that glory in the excitement of the action and the song and being together in the crowd. And Sam asked him one more question. What does all this tell you about God? And he replied... It tells me God is always about to surround me like a cloud of smoke. It's a good definition of holiness, isn't it? God is always about to surround me like a cloud of smoke. Always about to surround me so that I can experience his presence and feel myself changing from the inside out, And I think that's what was going on when James, Jesus takes Peter, James and John up the mountain on this Sunday. On, well, wouldn't probably be a Sunday, but on this particular event. And I want to look this morning briefly at what this might tell us about God in the face of Jesus and then what it might tell us about us in the face of his disciples. You see, when the disciples experienced Jesus transfigured and his face and clothes dazzling, dazzlingly, dazzlingly bright, like bleach, it says, doesn't it? He has beside him Moses and Elijah in that mysterious event. It's like the Old Testament has come to life. And it says to us theologically that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, that's Moses and Elijah, the prophet. So for us, directly, glory has to mean staying close to the scriptures. We don't know what glory is or even who Jesus is without the Holy Scripture, without the faith of Israel through the Old Testament into the New Moses and Elijah confirm that Jesus is now the covenant between God and his people turned into flesh. Moses, there in that experience, because God gave Moses the law, which was carried around in the Ark of the Covenant and enshrined in the temple, representing God's covenant with Israel. And Moses there says that Jesus is that covenant in flesh and blood, And then Elijah on the other side. Because as a prophet representing prophets, he reminds us of God's faithful love. You know, in the Old Testament, whenever Israel broke the covenant and strayed and sinned and turned its back on the Lord, God sent prophets to remind Israel what it meant to be loved and to love. So in this middle of this precarious conversation between Jesus, Moses and Elijah, we are reminded to hold fast to the scriptures which tell God's story of loving liberation for the world and for us. Glory must mean staying close to his holy word. And then glory means staying close to the Father himself. The transfiguration, it seems, happens as a prayer, in a moment of prayer. It's what we are always hoping, aren't we, will happen when we sit down to pray. Jesus, in that moment, has the same kind of experience the bus driver, strangely, is describing. A cloud surrounds him, and the Father says, This is my chosen son. Listen to him. It's a glimpse into the Trinity. And for a moment, it seems like Peter, James and John get to tune into a conference call between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so for Jesus himself, glory means staying close to the Father in prayer. Glory means staying close to mission, to God's mission, Jesus, Moses and Elijah aren't talking about the weather. What are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus going back down the mountain, going to Jerusalem to die. So glory for Jesus isn't some kind of mystical escape from the harsh realities of pain and suffering and dying. It's about facing it, facing the reality, especially, especially suffering for the sake of his truth and justice and allowing the cloud to come round us and for others to see God through the suffering. Sam Wells calls it seeing an upstairs in a downstairs world. And for many of us at the moment, who are going through hardship and difficulty, that's what life is right now, isn't it? Trying to see upstairs in a downstairs world. Finally, glory means strangely in some ways, staying close to God's church. I say strangely because sometimes the church can be so silly. So stupid, so small-minded. I don't mean you, I mean me as well. And Peter seems to make this ridiculously daft suggestion in that moment to build three shelters, as if to say, Jesus, how about we make you, three, you and your friends comfortable so you can put up your feet and have a chat and a costa? Sometimes you wonder how Jesus had patience for that. And you wonder how he still has patience for us. And yet in this moment of glory, he invites the disciples to be there with him. He wants us to be part of his transfiguration. And that's the truth at the heart of our salvation. We can't understand this or make sense of it, but we must never forget it because it's good news, isn't it? So to Jesus, glory means Israel, means the scriptures. It means the Father. It means suffering. And it means the church. You want glory? You want to look close to Jesus? Look there in those places. And finally this morning, what can the transfiguration of Jesus tell us about us? in the face of those three disciples I think what it tells us this morning is that glory can't be created by us it's not made by human beings it's beyond us and it comes around us like a cloud of smoke it's not something the disciples can do or control or possess And the gospel writers are so very keen to emphasize this. They don't care how ridiculous they make the disciples look at this hugely sacred moment. Even in Luke, the scripture around the transfiguration says, the disciples are weighed down with sleep. Does that remind you of another event? In a few weeks' time, the Garden of Gethsemane, in the moment of trial, What do the disciples do? They fall asleep. If it can't be created by us, then glory can't be contained by us either. The revelation of Christ comes in spite of our weakness, in spite of our failure, and in spite of our silly enterprises. Now that is good news, isn't it, this morning? Let's point that out. Peter looks so stupid trying to build huts to capture this moment. And we cannot contain Jesus. Not anywhere. Not even in a building as beautiful as the one we're restoring right now. Lovely as it's becoming. We can't control when Jesus appears or who he appears to or when he appears to. That's what the faltering and feeble reactions of the disciples tell us. And ultimately, one more thing, my friends, this morning. If it can't be created by us, if it can't be contained by us, then it can't be fully communicated by us. I say fully because we do try. We do try to give our testimony, don't we? But at the end of the day, what happens is that the story of what happened to the disciples is silent. They don't have any words for this. They didn't tell anyone. They've seen something they just don't have words for. And we have to accept the transfiguration in that same spirit. We don't have the words. We can't justify it. We can't rationalize it. We can't explain it but we receive it. God's glory can't fully be communicated by us. And for those of us that love words and ideas and concepts, we will learn that God is ultimately beyond any description and any means of expressing that revelation because in the end, it's given by God himself. And so we learn that God is dazzling even whilst we're yawning that God is beyond us like a cloud, even when we're trying to contain him, and that glory is the wonder beyond our ability to express it in fine and fancy words. So this morning, in conclusion, God reveals his glory in liberating love for us. That's what the presence of Moses and Elijah is fundamentally about. Have you seen God setting people free? Have you seen forgiveness free someone, maybe you, from guilt? Have you seen friendship, maybe yours, free a person from despair? Have you seen kind hands free a person, maybe you, from sickness? Have you seen a word of faith Maybe from you, free a person from fear. Have you seen an act of courage free a person, maybe you, from a prison of your own making or others' making? That's where to find glory. God real, reveals his glory in suffering. That's what the cross is fundamentally about. Have you seen God's glory in moments of suffering? Have you seen God's glory in another person's pain? Not that God ever sends it. Please, I will never be quoted as saying that. He doesn't send it, but through it, transfigured by it, through the pain, do we get to see upstairs in a downstairs world. Are you putting your own suffering in the presence of God for him to transfigure? God reveals his glory in the church, the ordinary, clumsy, small minded church. Have you seen God in the poetry and song of the church this morning, any day? Have you seen him in small acts of generosity in the church, in striking risks of kindness, in stumbling attempts at hospitality? Have you looked for God's hand in our common life here over months and years of prayer, mission projects, membership classes, finance committees, joyful celebration, and tearful funerals? That's where to find glory. And finally, Jesus was transfigured when he went to to pray do you go to pray and when you do are you expecting God to transfigure you because the biggest surprise of all might be that you and me tired weary terrified clumsy inarticulate might be the locus of God's revelation to the world. That's good news, isn't it? So let our lives become a prayer. Let others see the face of God in us. Let others come close to you. And when they do, let them say, God is around me like a cloud of smoke. May we see God's glory in the face of Jesus. But we, may we also be transfigured ourselves. May we bring our freedom, our foolishness and our suffering into the presence of God to be so transfigured by Jesus that others may see the glory of God in each one of us. Amen. Amen.